Hi everyone, my name is Maria Milosevic and welcome to EduTech XP. From Zaland University and Educational Technology Department, we are bringing to you one more amazing story from the EduTech field. And that is how eye tracking connects with educational technology and why it is important for learning and many other processes. Eye tracking is this amazing field where we can find out many interesting things. For example, how we can improve learning by measuring different eye movements. However, application of eye tracking can be found in many fields, starting from education, multimedia learning, to commercial applications, marketing, but as well industries such as automotive, safety, gaming, and assistive technologies. Eye tracking is also a focus of many researches as um, it helps us to enhance actually the practice itself. And one of the best examples is using eye tracking to control wheelchairs, robotic arms, and prosthesis. On the other hand, we have the implementation of eye tracking in more entertaining field, uh, such as gaming. For example, there is HyperDot, a um, relatively new arcade game where player needs to dodge everything, and this game involves eye tracking as well. So the game uses many types of controllers, and as creators of this game wanted to create um, and provide even more immersive gameplay experience uh, to the player of the game, they uh, decided to offer one more very specific controller, which is your own eye, play eye of the player. So you can play the game and control the dot that is moving on the screen by moving your own eyes. For me, that's amazing. Of course, you can do that if you use eye tracker and eye tracking software. And involving these technologies to actually play the game and control the dot by your eyes also in somehow affects on data privacy and data sensitivity. How data privacy is covered in eye tracking? what eye tracking in general is, what are the challenges and what is the future of eye tracking and how it's connected with EduTech um, are some of the segments that we have covered to the interview with our next guest. The interview is held by my colleague Eric McNally and our amazing guest is Lisa Stark. She comes from Zaland University and among many interesting fields that she covers, eye tracking is also one of them. Let's move on the interview and hear what the professor Stark has to say on our questions about eye tracking. All right. So Lisa, thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah, it's a pleasure for me. Uh, so let's go ahead and start with the basics. For anyone who is unfamiliar with eye tracking um, as a subject, can you give us a brief explanation of what eye tracking is and what are the basic ways in which it functions? 
Eye tracking means to capture data about where a person looks at and for how long. So there is some kind of camera that captures the position of your eye or of your pupil. And with new technology, the camera can also relay that to a specific point where you look at by calibration. So it can uh, record also your environment. So your eye movements can be related to specific areas. That means if you use eye tracking when working on a computer screen, then And the eye tracking software can tell you when a person looks at specific points of the computer screen, for example. There exist also other devices like glasses you can wear, and then you can also walk around and the camera can relate your eye movements to everything you look in your environment. What does eye tracking do? It just measures where do you look and for how long. And it, it does not measure what are you thinking by doing yeah. that. There's only the hypothesis that you uh, process cognitively those things you're just looking at. And the longer you look at something, so the longer your fixation is, the more deeply you process it. But um, this is just the I-mind hypothesis. And this is where a lot of research is based on, on or actually the whole uh, analysis of eye-tracking data is, is based on. But you can, of course, question it and have a critical view on that. You said the I-mind hypothesis. So yeah. I would assume this has to be pretty new as the technology itself is quite novel. Or has the technology been around longer than people would think? Yeah, uh, so technology exists. I think not the technology, but the methodology um, exists for uh, over 100 years. But um, go back 100 years and imagine how would you do eye tracking? I, I see you now on my computer screen and I can see your eyes. So I can see your eyes moving. So I can observe your eyes. And this were the first eye tracking studies that there was someone reading a text and there was an observer um, sitting next to him and watching the eyes moving. So it could not record the eyes. So with the invention of a camera, you could, of course, do a lot more research in this direction. But then you, you were not able to relate the recording of the camera, so the recording of the eye, with where do the person persons look at. And this was um, then the, the later step. Um, now with infrared technology, you can so rather calculate the position of the eye in relation to the the picture of the camera so it's a little bit difficult to to um when you to say how to explain but uh well, because you're infrared is it something to do with is the camera measuring light bouncing off of the shape of the eyeball and that's how it's what is reflecting in the intensity or wavelength of the infrared as it's reflected can be used to calculate what direction the eye is facing Uh, in most cases, there's some kind of uh, camera, so uh, and it uses infrared technology to uh, really to enlighten the, the pupil or the eye. So uh, there's okay. some kind of reflection of the eye, and this is what the eye tracker can uh, record then. Oh, I would wager it's probably something similar to if you see a cat crossing the road at night and they look yeah. directly at you, the uh, re reflectivity or you know reflective nature of the eye changes when it's directly facing you versus somewhere else. This is a, this is a nice picture to imagine some kind of like that. Of course, we've discussed the historical challenges in the field um, and how technology has helped that. But what are some of the current challenges to conducting good eye tracking research currently? The biggest challenge has not changed over the last 100 years because the biggest challenge is that you use eye tracking technology when it is appropriate. So 
the biggest challenge is to have a research question where eye tracking really can help you to answer. Because a lot of researchers, I think, they use eye tracking methodology because it's there and they can use it. But uh, in in some in some studies, maybe of course it reveals something about cognitive processing. But sometimes there is not the research question really fitting, and sometimes yeah, sometimes the the assumptions on uh, which eye tracking measure or eye tracking indicator, because there are a bunch of indicators, um, is fitting to which cognitive process. This is still not fixed. This is still something you really have to discuss. And um, we are writing a publication on a study where we try to link eye tracking indicators to cognitive processes, which we measured by thinking aloud method. And this is not easy. And in some cases, it's simply not working. So even if you use a very simple uh, learning instruction, just containing text and pictures, and you want to relate maybe process of coherence formation. So um, this means um, when persons integrate uh, the information from the text with the information from the picture, you would um, assume that this is learning beneficial. This is in a lot of studies. It was proven. And so you take an indicator from the eye tracking research that means called the transitions. So how often does uh, you look at, do you look at uh, a picture and then at the text or other way around? So how often is there some kind of fixation link between the two representations? And um, then you have the think aloud method and um, look at how often do persons mention that they matched textual and pictorial information. And of course, you would assume, okay, there's a really large correlation. And in the, in this case, it functions. So you can relate the measures. But in other cases, just to select important information, this is really hard. And Oh, um, uh, yeah. I mean, when you're talking about anything that, because you start to get to what could almost be seen as overlapping a bit with like neuroscience and what part of the brains are activating. And like, what is when someone's seeing certain things? When I was younger, I remember at one point, doing some little thing where they put some little measurement cups on the side of your head and it reads like brainwave activity from certain regions of the brain. And of course, you know, there are models showing what regions we think are responsible generally for what. I could also see where there could be very wide potential to add this extra observational element by combining eye tracking with these sort of cognitive experiments and then also pairing it up with some observations of like regional brain activity that could also potentially provide some interesting insight. Other than what you just mentioned, what are some of the other main connections between eye tracking, which can be used also for like a bunch of other different purposes, but what are the other main connections to educational uh, technology that you see with eye tracking? Eye tracking for me is a methodology that allows researchers to have a closer look at learning processes because um, without such technology, you have uh, think aloud protocols, which are rather an intrusive method. So when thinking aloud, you're in learning that might confuse you and um, you tend to self-explain your your things. And this has also an effect on learning. So it's um, uh, confounded maybe with your variation you want to explore in an experimental setting. So um, for me, it's a methodology to capture learning processes but I think that um, you can also use it then to provide novices maybe with eye movements from experts and uh, novices might learn from that so if you know how an expert for example works with uh, text and picture so this is a typical multimedia learning environment and you see okay there are a lot of connections between text and picture so the novice learns okay I should uh, use or I should search for these connections too um, so I think 
that uh, eye tracking can also provide an instructional mean. So for you personally, how did you find yourself both within the learning sciences and more particularly, uh, what drove you towards eye tracking as sort of a topic of specialization? Mm, I would not say that uh, eye tracking is my is my only topic of specialization because when I reflect my journey to learning sciences, I studied math and music for um, becoming a teacher at school. But during my studies, I recognized that I'm really interested in psychology and how people learn and in doing empirical studies so in methodology I'm also interested and um, after my studies I'm after doing my final exam I had the opportunity to be at university still and to do my um, doctoral thesis there and uh, during my doctoral thesis I worked on effects of emotions uh, during learning with multimedia instruction and this is a research field where eye tracking is often used or where it is nice to use and if you want to do publication and there eye tracking in it this is really great and we had the opportunity to do to do eye tracking studies so this is how i i came to that but i'm still doing eye tracking research but i actually work rather in teacher education and i'm doing courses on inclusive education and besides that i'm trying to do my research and to yeah still do eye tracking studies and studies on other topics too when you're you discussed that you were um, looking at emotions in the learning process and using eye tracking for this, was this paired with other physical measurements, things like blood pressure or any other like physiological emotional displays? No, it wasn't. Um, in one study in particular, I uh, studied effects of experimentally induced emotions on learning processes. That means there were three groups. There was one group receiving some kind of positive emotion induction, you would say. So there was some uh, positive or happy music playing and the learners should remind a very positive event from their past and they should be in a very happy mood. And there was a negative condition where they had to remember a sad event there was sad music playing. And then um, they learned with multimedia instruction and afterwards, I was measuring learning outcomes and I had also eye tracking measures there because the uh, overarching research question uh, was not only how do emotions affect learning outcomes but what is the mechanism of action why do emotions affect learning outcomes in such a in such a way is, no but I, I, I think I see where you're coming from is the time spent reading a text altered during an emotional state or something like this I would I think D during that study I did not use other physiological measures that was your question actually yes um, <laughs> because I did not really focus on how to capture emotions if you want to uh, capture emotions you would not primarily use eye tracking but something like other physiological measures and uh, but some also use eye tracking measures like pupil dilatation measures for capturing emotional processes yes. but I was yes. rather interested in how emotions uh, affect cognitive processes so for me eye tracking is rather a measure which is about cognition but not about emotion. Of course, this is probably less related to some of the studies that you're doing regarding the direct cognitive process, but eye tracking as a piece of technology, I think is fascinating because you can essentially just turn your eyes into like a computer mouse at that point, if you have the proper equipment and you think about, there are so many people out there who have motor skills, disabilities, and like the ability to just point and click with, you know, assuming they do have optical function as well 
well, technology-wise, that's potentially just like revolutionary for being able to equip learners to participate beyond just actually using it for cognitive process research, I would think. Yeah, I think the most popular example for that is Stephen Hawking, no? who um, did his communication while directing his uh, commands to a computer, to a speech computer, and he did it with the eyes or with blinks. And um, this also, it really exists not only in, in gaming, but also in um, with your normal computers, because some computers, they already have um, the possibility to connect them with eye tracking uh, technology. And then you can really, you can scroll the page or um, click on something by blinking or by looking at it, fixating it. And um, in, in my opinion, some kind, sometimes it's a little bit scary, but uh, <laughs> yes. I, I tried one one game actually uh, when we had a presentation of the Toby software and uh, with a blink of an eye or with a fixation, I do not remember it exactly, you could um, uh, shoot some items on your computer screen. And this was really fancy. Well, I think this actually leads perfectly into uh, the next question I had. As you said, it sometimes can be a little scary. The fear of surveillance is a very valid one. I think especially, you know, here in Germany, anyone who is alive before reunification knows that like surveillance is is something that can can happen in any country uh, to citizens and does in many parts of the world. Um, I think this year alone, there have been some pretty big scandals about privacy breaches in like high up places. So knowing this and knowing that eye tracking does hinge on this ability to automatically record and analyze and process data gathered about, you know, private personal behaviors, would you say it's incredibly important for for anyone who's deploying this sort of technology to really make sure that they are safeguarding the privacy of the user. Oh, of course I do. But um, when discussing privacy issues, I have always, I think always of um, messenger services and Facebook, for example, you mentioned, uh, because a lot of people, I would say most people actually, they share pictures they share what they like they like other things so by clicking on it so they like it i'm not sure whether this is more private than where you look at i would actually reflect on which is the data you give someone when there's infrared technology there's no camera that captures your background but even if maybe my background you see now here is less private than pictures i share uh, about my last holiday somewhere so i would always reflect what is the data we really are willing to to give away we, we, we actually give away and what about the data which is captured on top so I would agree with that. I mean, already, you know, the the fact that you can talk about something and five minutes later, you're seeing ads for it um, on your phone is a pretty common phenomenon. And actually, I believe that's something to do with there's a software that's supposed to just try and record television ratings by picking up audio from TVs or movie programs and then saying, oh, and then we send that to be analyzed to know how many people are watching something. And that's kind of like, that's what you agree to. I think when you check the little box... Um, but as you said, then like what else is being skimmed along the way? And so, yeah, I guess you're right. Really, it would probably be narrow, uh, some narrow situations where the eye tracking would be potentially giving away more than we're probably already sadly giving away. 
I must remember, or I must think of some situations when you think of using eye tracking for safety. So uh, as an example, there were eye tracking studies or eye tracking was used in when having pilots flying uh, an airplane and the blink rate was collected, I think. And the higher the blink rate, so uh, the higher was the possibility that the pilot is, is tired and falls asleep. So it oh. was some kind of warning. Okay, so if you blink a lot and you're tired, you're blinking even longer. So the blinks, your eyes are shut then for sure. Um, periods yeah. of time and of course you could um, imagine that such a technology could be uh, implemented now in cars because cars they are uh, large computers of course but if you incorporate that maybe further data is gathered and when you've an accident they can tell you where you did your error and on the one hand this is great because you can prevent others on the other hand if you're the one responsible again, maybe not so great yeah in terms of, of guilty issues, this is, okay, for a lawyer, it's great to have it, but um, I don't want that someone the whole time knows where I'm looking at. Well, yeah, I mean, like, <laughs> God forbid the person you have a crush on knows how much you're looking at their picture on Instagram or something like this. <laughs> but yeah, I think it's a very interesting uh, way to look at it, though, about maybe it's not all so bad, but potentially could be. Um, and. <laughs> I would say, you know, if you had one like desired direction that you would like to see more well-funded, you know, really a lot of research initiative within eye tracking, what direction would that take for you? Ooh, that's a difficult question. Uh, I personally would be interested in more research on the novice expert paradigm because um, I think in a lot of areas um, you could learn a lot uh, when, like, like learn of, by, from a model uh, when you watch experts or when you observe experts doing something, and combining the expert eye movements, for example, with augmented reality that you really can trace and and you can really then look where the expert looked at. I think this is in terms of in instructional science, a very interesting way to go. I think that's fascinating. I, I actually, we're currently discussing details for an episode relating to augmented and virtual reality. And I see with augmented reality, yeah, the ability to teach sort of like sequential tasks or things like this, there's already so much potential. But now I completely see what you're saying that then when you can further replicate the actions of the expert um, who can perform this well. And by using the eye tracking and incorporating that in the AR, that's really cool. So anybody listening, fund that study. <laughs> fund that research, please. Are you aware of any differences in eye tracking across cultures where the written language flows in a different direction? Because I personally have spent some time studying Japanese. Um, I did do one Arabic class a long time ago. And so um, in Japan, they sometimes will read uh, horizontally, but occasionally in some formats, it'll be vertical and you'll start from the top, go to the bottom. And Arabic, of course, starts on the right and then ends at the left. So are you aware of any published, you know, research so far into possible ways that that would impact maybe how someone scans a page when they first see it? Like, where do they start? Where do they end? Are you aware of any demonstrated cultural differences there? Oh, I, I know that there are studies on that, but I, I must admit, I do not know these studies in, in detail. I 
But what I found interesting about eye tracking, or what eye tracking research re revealed in studies about reading or reading comprehension, I thought that uh, when I read a text, I some kind my, my eyes slide over the lines, and that's not the case actually. In reality, we do not slide over the lines, but we have fixations. So the eye stops. A fixation is that um, a momentary pause in the eye movement. So when reading a text, we fixate some syllables or some yeah some syllables or only some words uh, and not every um, letter. And this is what I find really interesting that uh, reading is not sliding, but reading is stopping, 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 stopping at uh, specific points. Well, I think in other languages that's the same. I believe that I, and I think I saw this on Facebook, so I will admit to anyone listening, this is quite possibly not founded in real science, but I think I saw a meme a while ago that said something along the lines that we actually focus mainly on the beginning and the end of a word, and we will pick up the letters that are in the middle, but we don't necessarily process them sequentially. So if you take the word family, and as long as you have F at the beginning and Y at the end, you can scramble those middle letters up And if someone's reading a page very quickly, they will still read it correctly. That's true to some, to some extent that uh, if you change the letters in a, in a word, then you don't recognize it. You just read it. That's true. And this is because we just fixate some words. And a lot of reading is um, just retrieving words you know from memory. It's not uh, just seeing it and then encoding again the letters and then uh, building a, a word together like reading novices at a school do. But I like those tests where uh, some letters are changed and then you read it nevertheless. And afterwards you tell them, hey, what's that? <laughs> well thank you so much lisa for your time today it's been a pleasure and uh i look forward to i'm sure i will probably be encountering you at some point uh in the program thank you so much for your time thank you so much for your very nice questions and a nice interview thanks yep have a great day dear listeners we really hope that you like the interview with the professor stark From general introduction of, of eye tracking uh, to its connection with educational technology and other various fields, we could see the power of eye tracking and how this process can help us to translate research accomplishments into practical setups that can improve many fields and segments of our lives. As we came to the end of today's episode, I would like to thank you one more time and actually call you to join us on social media, uh, on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. See you in two weeks in the same time and the same place. Till our next meeting, have a lovely day and enjoy EduTech XP. 